This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now here are your hosts, clinical health psychologist, Dr. Kelly Donahue and nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. Good morning. Today, we are delighted and excited to have Sachin Patel, who is a father, husband, philanthropist, functional medicine practice success coach, international speaker, and best-selling author. His philosophy is that the doctor of the future is the patient, and he is actively doing whatever it takes to keep people out of the medical system by empowering them through education, self-care, and remapping their mindset. Sachin founded the Living Proof Institute as part of his personal transformation and now coaches practitioners all over the world on how to step into their power and save their communities. To date, he has delivered hundreds of community workshops. He is an advocate for changing the healthcare paradigm, and he has devoted his life to the betterment of healthcare for patients and practitioners. It is an honor and a privilege to have you with us this morning. Welcome. Thank you. The honor is mine. I appreciate this opportunity to connect with your community and, you know, shed some light and maybe some new perspective on health that can help them take their journey even further. Because I know your listeners are active and they're improving their health in so many different ways. Uh, Sometimes it helps to hear something again. Sometimes it helps helps to hear it in a different perspective. So I hope to add that to the conversation and narrative and uh, let's have some fun today. Perfect. Let's dive in with our kind of intro question, which is, how did you really become interested in functional medicine and and lifestyle medicine? So I'm trained originally as a chiropractor, which means that lifestyle and this belief that the body can heal and regenerate and repair itself is very deeply rooted in my training. Uh, When I graduated chiropractic school, though, I ended up working in a sports clinic, helping athletes and elite marathon runners, uh, Olympic athletes, people like that, who are probably some would consider the healthiest people in our community. So, you know, it's helping them with their chronic injuries, their sports related injuries that would prevent from running a sub three hour marathon. So you can imagine uh, the level that these people are operating at and we're helping them with musculoskeletal problems. Well, 2006, I was on the news because of the great work that our team was doing. And in fact, actually funny story, they asked my boss at the time to be the person who was featured in the, in the news article, or is actually a, a, you know, a television news article. And, um, she had frozen on live television before. So she decided she was never going to get in front of a camera again. So she passed the opportunity on to me. And so here I am like two years out of school. And of course I'm pumped because I love helping people. And you know, who doesn't like being on the news in a positive way, at least. (laughs) So, you know, a big boost to the ego, certainly. And my ego was like shot down, like after the third or fourth patient that came in from watching that news article, because we went from seeing overnight, some of the healthiest people in our community to some of the sickest and the people that I could help uh, were, you know, the athletes and the, you know, the people who are operating at an elite level, but the people who really needed me, the people who uh, couldn't function, uh, could barely, you know, get up and walk from their car to the, to the office started coming in because for whatever reason, even though the story was about elbow pain, they saw hope or they were at least looking for hope, but then I couldn't help them because I really didn't have the skill set to do that. So after you turn down patient after patient and run out of places to send them because they've already been everywhere. You know, that's a gutting feeling. And so I kind of realized, hey, I can't help the people in my community that need me the most. I've got to really do something about this or upgrade my skills because if these people can't be helped and a family member of mine has these type of challenges at some point in the future, then I'm not going to be able to do anything for them either. And if something like this happens to my family, I don't know how to help them. So around that same time, ironically, I started getting emails from 
who would later become my mentor, Ron Grisanti, and he was sharing uh, some of his case studies that resembled the cases that were now coming into our office after watching the article. And I'm like, I want to do this. And then I found out he was a chiropractor. I'm like, how can a chiropractor do this? This doesn't make sense to me. Even though we learned a lot of these things in school, it was not, not even part of my paradigm that I would do functional medicine. And so I started learning about his training program, took the first class that he offered, graduated as one of the first students from FMU. And uh, since then, I've been practicing it. I've taken a few IFM courses as well and have deepened my journey. And what I've learned over the years is I went from, you know, trying to solve complex problems with complex solutions to now helping solve complex problems with very simple solutions. And so that's kind of been my journey through functional medicine. You know, I, I never thought I'd be doing this. If you asked me, you know, even, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I would have never expected that I'd be doing the work in the way I do it now, but I'm so glad I do because it's allowed me, me to help so many more people and it's allowed me to empower people to help themselves. And that's an incredible journey. And, and what I find most interesting is that, you know, we, we start in medicine thinking things need to be incredibly detail oriented and complex. And what we come to find out many of us that evolve and shift and change is that keeping things simple is what makes people healthier, makes it more tangible, makes it easier to implement. And so for the benefit of those that are listening that aren't really familiar with the concept of functional medicine, can you explain, you know, briefly how that differentiates from a more conventional approach or, or what we think of when we think of as traditional Western medicine as, it's, as it pertains to uh, prevention and chronic disease management? Sure. So, you know, the, the quickest way I could explain this in one sentence would be that functional medicine is personalized and root caused healthcare, where the patient actually becomes a partner in their care instead of delegating uh, their care uh, to their practitioner. So it's, it's kind of a self-empowered healthcare paradigm where the practitioner is essentially coaching or guiding the patient who is doing the work because uh, that's really the only solution to our healthcare crisis is more people taking ownership over their health. Now, depending on what level of functional medicine somebody practices, I would say there's different layers to it. So the first layer I would say is the layer of lifestyle, which is lifestyle environment, and then the layer of nutrition, because we all know nutrition is very important. What you eat is important, but how much time you don't eat is also important as, mm -hmm. as of course you would know, Cynthia, <laughs> and the listeners would obviously know, you know, and another layer would be their environment. Another layer is their mindset. You know, another layer is, you know, their limbic brain and, you know, their subconscious beliefs and patterns. So you've got to really work with clients on all of these levels because each and every one of these levels affects their health uh, in some way, shape, or form. So functional medicine is root cause personalized. It's individualized for the patient, but it's more importantly, it's self-empowering. What we do as functional medicine practitioners is we take uh, the complexity of the body, but also have a belief and a value that it's also intelligent and that it's sophisticated. So if it's complicated yet sophisticated, then what makes it sophisticated is that it's easy to use. So what makes your computer sophisticated, uh, although it's super complex, is how easy it is to use. I don't have to understand all the complexities of my computer to be able to type a letter to somebody, right? I trust that the complexities are being han handled by the built-in sophistication of the system. So another big difference in functional medicine is our belief and our value that the body does not make mistakes. It's usually a, the mistakes or the undesired effects that we have, the symptoms that we get or diseases that we develop are usually caused by our user error 
uh, consciously or unconsciously. So it could be something we don't know that's harming us, that's creating imbalance and pushing us out of homeostasis, or it could be something we're consciously doing, but for whatever reason, we're not changing that behavior. I believe innately the system is sophisticated enough to know what's good for it and what's bad for it, right? That's why we have to market bad food to people because it's not innate for them to want to eat that food. So if a child went at grocery shopping and had never seen a TV commercial before, I promise you, I promise you 100%, they would go into the vegetable and fruit section and the fresh food section and not look at the boxes even. So it's innately programmed for us to want to move towards eating uh, the right foods and making better decisions. So we, we kind of know that, but now we need to remind the patient, but then we also need to show them uh, a deeper understanding of how their body works. So now they can leverage its innate healing abilities. So I'm sure we'll talk more about that as the interview goes on, but you know, we believe truly that the only solution to our healthcare challenges that we have right now is that it's not more patients seeing natural healthcare practitioners, it's more patients actually becoming their own doctors. That's the only solution. That's the only solution we should be even thriving for or aiming for because that's what we all want for ourselves. We all know, want to know how to take care of ourselves and our families. So why shouldn't we want that for our neighbor? Why should somebody have to get sick to learn how to be healthy? Why shouldn't we learn how to be healthy from the very beginning? Mm. Imagine the world that we can create if everyone grew up healthy, happy, and knew how to take care of themselves. It would be a completely different planet that we lived on. But that's not the case. And so even becoming better and better at functional medicine, what I realized is that I could get really good at helping someone with cancer, but what if I could help somebody not get cancer in the first place? Because that's what I want for my family. So shouldn't I want that for everybody's family? So that became kind of our evolution of our practice and of, of our mission. So it's kind of going beyond the traditional functional medicine paradigm of, hey, I can help you with complex problems and simple solutions, but I can also help you not get these things uh, if you don't want to by unlocking your, you know, your amazing capabilities from the very beginning. So we help people that are very unwell and we dive a little bit deeper. We can do lab testing on them. We can get really hyper-personalized. But what we found um, over the years is that people who go into a lifestyle-based program actually get faster and better results than people who do labs and uh, take supplements. Because what happens is the psychology of the patient is radically different. I might be getting ahead of myself, but I feel I'll share this here. Uh, the psychology of a patient who's waiting on lab testing and who's waiting on uh, or, or taking supplements is delegating their health, right? So they're delegating their health to the supplements or the deficiency or the lab testing, the lab finding that they're going to get. And so they're almost waiting to take action until they find out what's wrong with them. And even then they become hyper-focused on what's wrong with them. A patient who's focused on lifestyle is focusing on everything that's right with them. They're not waiting for the lab test to come back. They're not delegating the health to the supplement. They know that they need to eat healthy food in order to get the nutrition from their body. And we see radical uh, results with these patients because they're unlocking all of these different uh, aspects of their health and creating this massive compound effect. So instead of doing one or two things differently, they're taking the things that they're already doing and doing all of them slightly differently. So imagine doing, you know, 10 things, 5% better. Imagine you're going to sleep anyways, let's sleep 5% better. You're going to poop, let's poop 5% better. You're going to think, let's think 5% or 5 million times better. You know, so there's all these things that we can change. And this starts, you know, changing the tone of the client's nervous system, putting them in a more parasympathetic state, and now getting them to heal every single organ, every single day, 
all day or as much of the day as humanly possible. And we'll, we'll get into all that too. So there's, there's kind of the functional medicine, but then things have evolved for us as well. Our message has evolved a little bit and it's more about less about functional medicine, but more about bringing health into people's homes uh, as early as possible. Oh, I love everything that you just said there. Um, the first thing that I think about is that that strategy aligns with so much with what Cynthia and I do, and we're all in slightly different fields. So when I approach clients from this mindset perspective and healthy lifestyle behaviors, I tell them to use the best acronym. So doing the breathing, eating, sleeping, thinking, the things that, like you said, we're already doing every day, mm -hmm. figuring out how to do them in a way that's really going to optimize their health. And another thing that you said that I think is so key, and the research is supporting this too, is this shift from the identity of a sick person or the identity of someone who needs to wait on lab results or a white coat or that kind of thing to give them information versus taking on the identity of a healthy person who mm -hmm. is then more likely to do healthy behaviors. So can you talk a little bit more about the mindset piece? Yeah. You know, one thing that people are conditioned to think that is if you, um, have been sick for a long time or unwell for a long time that it takes a long time to get better. And so it becomes very daunting for someone to think that, you know, I've been sick for 20 years. It's going to take me two years to get better. So, you know, the human brain is really not good at thinking too far into the future. That's why people struggle with goal setting and planning and accomplishing things because we're really designed to be here now, right? As Ram Das would say, like, our physiology is designed to be in this moment, right? And when we can pair our physiology with the moment, that's when, you know, we can, we can really experience stillness. So a lot of times um, uh, with patients, the, the key for them really is to understand how uh, they can take ownership over their health, how they can also model that ownership of health to their children. So they're not waiting for other people to feel unwell and, when they, when people identify as a healthy person, that's actually the state that they're in. Their body is the healthiest it can be with the, in, given the circumstances that it has, right? And they're just traveling through, traveling on whatever journey they need to go on uh, to move in the direction that they want to move their health. And so we have to think of ourselves as being healthy. We have to have that mindset because it's going to determine the actions that we're going to take on a daily basis. So when you, when you identify as a healthy person, as you said, Kelly, then you're going to identify what would a healthy person do in a situation like this and how we think about ourselves is so critical because it, it allows us to make decisions so much easier if we can identify with a better version of ourselves. Uh, but it's hard for us to plan so far into the future to make that investment of our time, right? People want to feel uh, better now. So one of the things I prove to people and anyone who's listening to this is, I ask a very simple question, which is how long into your vacation does it take you to feel better? And people will say two days, three days, you know, and then like, oh, that, that was an interesting question because if you can feel better in three days, right? You're usually when people are on vacation, they lose some weight, their blood pressure is lower, their blood sugars are more balanced and uh, they feel better, right? Which is the most important thing. And they feel better within days. And so you can prove to people that it doesn't have to take months, weeks, or even months for you to feel good. You can feel good, good now if you choose to really, if you know how to really be present in the moment. But when they realize that they're like, wow, I can feel better fast. And 
but it's recognizing all the things that are resulting in them feeling better fast. So they're spending time in nature, they're in the sun more, they're less stressed out, they're not commuting to work, you know, their meals are prepared, they don't have to clean up, the hotel maid or service comes and cleans up after them. So all the things that would normally be stressors in our lives, things that would occupy our time and mental energy and probably things we don't like doing are all taken care of for us. And so in a short period of time, people can start seeing results. And once they can buy into that and they can witness that for themselves or, uh, you know, kind of recognize that pattern that, yeah, I, I do feel better when I'm on vacation, then they're, it's easier for them to buy in that they can feel better sooner rather than later. That's so incredibly powerful. And I'm, I'm curious, where do you think a lot of these limiting beliefs that many of us embrace really, where do they originate from when it comes to aging or just health in general? Where do you think that conditioning, you know, kind of derives from? Well, a lot of it comes from our parents and television. So, you know, the biggest influence in our lives between the age of zero and eight is oftentimes our parents for sure, or our guardians. And uh, the second, the second uh, thing is television, right? So the human brain, especially between the age of zero and eight, uh, really uh, probably closer to five or so, we, we don't have any logical capability. So we can observe what's going on, we can understand what's going on, but we can't understand why it's going on. And so it's not until the left and the right brain start connecting after the age of five that we can really process things that are happening. So the way an adult brain processes a scenario is different than the way a child's brain processes a scenario and their brain is, is like wide open. So they really don't have, um, you know, our, they don't really have a filter or a guardian of what they believe to be true. Whatever goes in is going to program their reality. And so all we have to do from a very young age is convince people that they're broken that when they need to, their body's not capable of fixing themselves and therefore they will always look outside of them for answers. That's all I have to convince you of. I don't have to convince you that I even have a solution that works, right? I don't have to convince you that I have a solution um, that's gonna heal, heal you or fix you. I just have to condition, convince you that you're broken and you'll never look where you should be looking to find all the answers, which is here, right? So that paradigm shift can take place at a very young age. And that value system is installed either by television programming or um, our parents. And then it could also be school. Sometimes it could be something we heard. We don't know where that comes from. But if that belief pattern is there, now we need to work on correcting it. And we need to prove quickly to the client that you can feel better fast, for example, or, or these things can be uh, addressed and show them results quickly. If we can get people rapid results, then they're much more likely to continue on the path. I, I love that. And I think that going along with that, we also know that we can teach people that what they look for, they find. Mm -hmm. So when they're looking for ways that they're healthy, they'll see that they had a really healthy meal yesterday. But when right. they're looking for ways where they're unhealthy, they'll feel that their joints are achy and that they're really fatigued. So that's, it's so simple too, just by shifting that little bit of perspective. But I think what you said about the vacation is really interesting because that gives people proof and data in mm -hmm. their own lives that they can draw from. So they don't need to trust in you necessarily. They already have right. proof in themselves and can go from there. Well, I want to switch a little from mindset and, and talk some more about nutrition. Cynthia and I both love nutrition and we'd love to hear how you approach nutrition with your clients. Sure. So a lot of people come to us after having seen many practitioners and, you know, as you can probably imagine, uh, functional medicine or self-actualized health is not the first route most people take, 
right? It's usually somebody who's been through the ringer uh, that's going to come to us. So a lot of people that come to us, um, unfortunately, have seen many, many different practitioners. And when we look at the list of practitioners they, that they've seen, we see respected names on there, people that we know provide great uh, service and care. Uh, and also when we look at the protocols that these people are placed on or the lab interpretations, we see, you know, great service was provided. And, and so we start asking a different set of questions. So instead of focusing on what people are eating, we start focusing on how they're eating. And so the key difference for this uh, is that, look, we ask them, do you know somebody who eats like crap who doesn't have digestive problems? And the answer is usually yes. And that's the person that they're like, why me? Why not that person, right? Um, and so we know that you don't have to eat super, super clean and to not have issues. Mm -hmm. So that there's evidence there, right? That that's at least possible. I'm not suggesting that you do that because I don't know what that person's brain works like, but I know that they're not complaining about digestive issues. So it's proving to the client that, yeah, there's something more to this than what I eat because people become obsessed about their diets. In mm -hmm. fact, their diet becomes a source of stress, mm -hmm. whereas diet should be the exact opposite of that. It should be a source of gratitude in your life. So we use a, a, a really simple alliteration. It's called uh, choose, chew, chill, cherish, check. So first thing is first, you got to choose how you feel about your food. Do you feel like you're punishing yourself when you're eating? Because that's going to change uh, your physiology. Anything that creates a more stress, anger, resentment, type of uh, emotion in your body creates cortisol in your body. When we create cortisol, we're now telling the body that we're in fight or flight, that we need to shunt blood away from the digestive system. So if I wanna increase digestive function, I gotta send blood to the digestive system. And so under stress, we've reduced blood flow to our liver, kidneys, digestive organs, reproductive organs, bladder, like all the problem areas, we shunt blood from them when we're under stress. So we wanna choose how we feel about our food. This is the first time in human history, as far as I'm aware, that people complain about eating healthy, right? So go figure. Like people complain that <laughs> I've got to eat healthy. Like, come on. <laughs> the, second, so the second part of choose is you've got to choose foods that suit your value system and the future that you're trying to create. So don't eat for who you are, eat for who you want to become because your plate is literally a selfie of you, right? It's going to turn into the cells in your body. So, you know, how, how you choose that food is going to be based on who you want to become. The next one is chew. So chew your food like your life depends on it because it does, especially as we get people eating more plant-based foods. I always mm -hmm. remind people that if you don't chew your food, you can't break open the cell wall mm -hmm. and that's where all the nutrition is. We lack an enzyme to digest the cell wall of plants. So if you swallow you know, a salad, you're gonna poop a salad because you can't digest it. So really chewing your food is very critical. What that also does is it, it starts the digestive process mm -hmm. of, of the enzymes digesting your food in your mouth, but the taste buds now get activated and now they're telling the brain what ratio of fats, proteins, and carbohydrates is coming. So the stomach, the pancreas, and the gallbladder and liver can prepare to build a symphony of enzymes to digest that meal. So tasting your food is super, super important. Chewing it's important. Increasing surface area is important because when you increase surface area, you start increasing enzyme activity. So it's not about making more enzymes, it's also about making more surface area. So if you take a five pound chunk of ice versus five pounds of crushed ice, the crushed ice melts much faster, right? Because there's more surface area uh, for it to act on. So chewing our food is very critical. It also creates, um, it, it, it prompts us to go into a parasympathetic state because the reflex of, uh, the, there's a reflex where we, when we chew, 
it activates our digestive organ, activates the stress, the de-stressing response, the parasympathetic response. So now we're actually priming, I think of chewing like priming the pump, right? And so that's the next step. And then we have to chill. So we've got to be in a relaxed state. We can't be checking our email. You know, we can't be doing something stressful. We've got to be really present and focused uh, on eating our meal. And it helps to eat with friends. It helps to be social. It helps to connect with people, take turns talking and listening. And of course, chewing. That's very important. <laughs> now, we can't view food as an inconvenience, mm-hmm. right? It's called convenience food because what we're also saying is that it's inconvenient to, mm-hmm. to not eat this way, right? So there's a subtle message in there. So we have to view food as, as not a chore, you know, not as a punishment. We've got to view it as something that we, uh, we, we value. So we've got to chill and then we've got to cherish. So cherish is the gratitude part. We've got to, you know, have a moment of gratitude for what, you know, all the millions of steps that went, were involved in making this food come to my table, the infrastructure, the technology, the people, you know, the, the, all the workers that were involved, the sun, the, the soil, everything that was involved in putting that food on your table, the person that prepared it, if it's a meal. And having that gratitude is very critical because it also gets us more parasympathetic, which t- sends more blood flow to our digestive system and brings us more present and aware in the moment. And the last one is to check. So you should visually check your stool every day. And you can use the Bristol chart uh, to make sure you're having a good bowel movement every day with a certain, you know, at least 12 inches of, uh, of snake, as Terry Walls would say. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and so you, you want to make sure that you're having a good bowel movement every day and things are moving through you, right? So you're not full of crap because that's not a good situation either. And so those are the five elements of digestion that we tend to focus on. And then within a short period of time, people start feeling better because they weren't focused on all of those things. They were just focused on in the ingredients. They weren't focused on the process of digestion. So, you know, I like to equate digestion like to a car wash. So when you drive through a car wash, every step uh, is unique and every step relies on the previous step being done. So your stomach relies on your mouth to chew the food. Your stomach doesn't have teeth. It can't do that job, right? So we've got to do it. Your uh, small intestine, as food is moving through uh, and enzymes are being secreted, your pancreas requires that your stomach acid did its job, right? Because if it didn't do its job, then it's not going to signal properly. The chemical signals are going to be off. Um, and the reflexes the, that are signaled by the pH of our food, those are going to be off. So all of these things make a huge difference. And it's these really simple changes that people can make Uh, make a profound difference in their health and they start feeling better and they start realizing, wow, like I was not doing any of this, right? They were just focused again on what pill they were taking and what they were eating. Hi all, it's Kelly. As you probably know, Cynthia and I love eating healthy. We are also busy moms and entrepreneurs who don't always have time to shop for the best ingredients. If like us, you're trying to eat clean, but you don't necessarily have the time to go out shopping and deal with crowds and even search for the best organic foods, we have a solution for you. What if you could easily pick out the best ingredients online and have the meal delivered right to your door? You can with Sunbasket. 
Cynthia and I both rely on Sunbasket at various times when our life gets busy to help us provide good, high-quality meals for our family. With Sunbasket, you can cook healthy, delicious dinners with organic produce, premium ingredients, and delicious flavors that are delivered right to your door. All you have to do is choose your desired meal plan, and there are a lot of different meal plans to choose from, including the gluten-free plan, which Cynthia and I use regularly. You can customize it the way you want it, and you can have all the ingredients in your recipe ready to go. Sunbasket has organic produce, clean products, and they're a proud certified organic handler. So if you want to put your meal planning on autopilot to eat well all week, visit our link in the description to get started with Sunbasket today. That was a beautiful explanation. And I think every single person listening will take something away that they can do to improve their digestive process, including me recognizing that I probably need to be sitting with less technology around me while I'm eating. It's been a bad habit that I've had since, you know, working in the hospital and sometimes even being an entrepreneur, I sometimes am not reading a book while I'm sitting or looking at nature. I'm looking at email and responding to things. So definitely lots of highlights. Now, I'd love to pivot a little bit. And there's actually a term that I use, I actually learned through you called, uh, well, a term as it applies to um, health in a different way than I was using it before. But when we're talking about heart rate variability, um, and obviously we know there are devices that can help measure this for us, but can you give us a basic um, understanding of heart rate variability and how it helps us to understand why it's important to our overall health and well-being? Sure. So heart rate variability is just as it sounds, it's the amount of variability between each individual heartbeat. So in, in your heart rate, if, for example, if you had 60 beats per minute, each beat has a slight variation to it. So it's not exactly one second apart. And so when we look at that number, that, uh, that variability in between each heartbeat, that's known as the heart rate variability number. Now, what's tricky with that number is understanding what a good value is and what a bad value is. So the higher the variability, in your heart rate, the better it is for you. That means you're in a more parasympathetic, more relaxed, more regenerative state. When there's little variability, so when your heart beats like this very rhythmically, then that usually indicates that you're in a more sympathetic dominant state. And so there's a balance between the two. And so what we wanna see is, is people being in a more parasympathetic, more autonomically balanced state. An example I give people is when's the last time you went on a lion safari or saw a lion at the zoo? And they'll remember back in their childhood and they'll remember that the lions were sitting around doing nothing, right? They weren't pacing, they weren't chasing things for no reason, they weren't lifting weights, right? They were just like chilling. They were just hanging out in their pack, um, you know, checking out the Sahara or checking out, uh, not the Sahara, but checking out the safari and they were just chilling and they're like super boring and lame to watch. <laughs> that's, that's kind of how our nervous system is wired, mm -hmm. right? So they'll go on a chase, they'll go on a hunt and they might not eat again for three or four days. So they're meant to be, we're meant to be, our mammalian nervous system is meant to be parasympathetic dominant. So when we're parasympathetic dominant, we're sending blood to the trunk. We're balancing our immune system. We're insulin, we're not insulin resistant. We're sensitive uh, to insulin. We have uh, you know, better digestion, better detox. Like for example, when we're under stress, we only send 5% of our blood flow to our liver and kidneys. When we're in a parasympathetic state, we send 50% of our blood to our liver and kidneys. So imagine going from 
you know, trying to detoxify or going on a detoxification program, but you're not changing the tone of your nervous system. So you're taking all these expensive supplements or you're doing all these, you know, um, you know, meals or whatever, but you're not sending blood to that organ as much as possible. So that's why intermittent fasting is so great because it takes the load off of those organ systems. And then if you combine that with going parasympathetic, then you can see some profound shifts. So uh, back to what I was saying about heart rate variability, when you look at heart rate variability as a graph, you want to see a nice smooth graph. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when we explain to people that the heart rate is the variability between each heart heartbeat is erratic, they assume the graph is going to look erratic. But what happens is that number goes through an equation and that equation is what smooths out the graph. Okay, so just if you're using a tool that's visualizing it, that's one of the reasons uh, it can be a little bit confusing at first for people. So what you want to see is you want to see variability in the heart rate, but you want, when you look at the chart of your HRV, you want to see nice, smooth uh, up and down curves. That's super helpful. And do you have a favorite way of measuring heart rate variability, a favorite device that you use? Yeah, um, so I guess I can say the name. I use uh, Aura Ring. That's uh, one thing I wear. And that is going to, so there's, there's a difference between, uh, there's two devices that I use. One is called HeartMath. Um, and the other one is the Aura Ring. And now there's a band. I haven't tried it. It's called Whoop. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to order one here pretty soon because I've had a few people ask me about it. And I want to see how accurate uh, both the devices are. So uh, those are, there's devices that can track it. But what I like to do is not just track it, but I like to develop uh, HRV as a, as a skill. So uh, think of it like your, the muscle for your nervous system. So if your muscle, if your nervous system had a muscle, or a way to measure its function, it would be HRV. And the more we can be in control uh, of our HRV, the more we're in control of our nervous system, the more we're in control of our healing. So a higher HRV is gonna be representative of somebody who has better healing capacity, better reserves, and that person is gonna be much more resilient. So Aura Ring will track it for me as I sleep, but the HRV will allow me to actually develop it as a skill. So if I use HeartMath, I can increase the uh, difficulty level of the heart math and I can actually train myself to now be in control of my nervous system. So instead of just measuring something, you're actually taking ownership over it. So passive devices are great, but uh, heart math is, in my opinion, kind of the next level because it allows you to build resilience. So imagine stress as a cup. Um, you know, I can take water out of the cup, but, I, but I'd also want to have a bigger cup because whatever stress I've had hasn't uh, killed me yet, right? But there's probably something around the corner, like, you know, there could be, I mean, this stuff happens, right? There's tragedy, there's sometimes, you know, uh, you're called upon from your family, like we don't know what's, what's around the corner for us, right? That's, that's just life. It could be something big, it could be a huge opportunity, mm-hmm. but if it burns you out or you're on the verge of burnout, then that's a problem too, right? So we've, we don't know what's around the corner. So it's, it's good for us to develop resilience in that nervous system and have a reserve so that when some big opportunity comes up or a, a big demand on you comes up, you're there, you're able to tolerate it and you're able to provide for your family or do the things that are necessary to, to make things happen. So, you know, I, I believe we should have HRV as a tracking tool, but then we should also have HRV as a skill development tool. We, I'll, I'll tell a, a really fun story here. One of our clients, she started using HRV. Her child had, um, her child had ADD and just you know, behavioral challenges. And as she started doing her HRV and controlling her heart field, her son's ADD completely disappeared. So in two weeks, 
all of these behavioral challenges that he had were completely resolved. And uh, it was because she was resolving her uh, Mm -hmm. HRV. Like she started creating a signal uh, because our children are connected to us, right? Like Mm -hmm. if all of us were in the same room together, our hearts are, there would be a coherence between all of our heartbeats. And so our children are obviously, you know, for you women, your children were born from you. Mm -hmm. So there's this much deeper connection that you have. And so your HRV impacts their HRV. So if you're, if you're like, see, adults are good at hiding things. Children aren't. So when a child (laughs) feels anxious or wants to jump around, they get up and they jump around and they have erratic behavior. The adult contains it, Mm -hmm. but they're still creating the energy, right? They're straight, still creating the energetic field of anxiety or, you know, restlessness. So then it propagates to their child. And now they're kind of tuning their child. And then the child is expressing that behavior. So fascinating. It's, it's pretty powerful stuff. Like usually we tell people, listen, when kids come to us with ADD, it's not the kid, it's the parents. Oh, and wow. it's either what they're being fed or it's, it's the energy that they're putting out there in the world, right? Yeah. Nothing's wrong with your child. Stop trying to fix your child. It's, there's something in the field that's creating that energy in the child that needs to be corrected. Wow. That just completely blew my mind and makes complete sense. I'm curious. Um, there's another term that I know that you're that you use in in your practice. And can you tell us what autonomic pairing is and why we need to know more about it? Sure. So autonomic pairing kind of ties back to a lot of things we talked about, which is your nervous system should be in the state of the in the optimized state for the activity you're trying to perform. So if I'm going to the gym then I probably need blood going to my arms and legs, mm-hmm. right? And so that blood has to come from somewhere. It comes from my trunk organs. So like I said earlier, at rest, 50% of my blood flow goes to the liver and kidneys because mm-hmm. that's what I need to be doing. I need to be digesting, detoxing, removing, eliminating, filtering. But when I'm in the gym or if I'm running from a lion, let's say, then <laughs> I don't need those functions. Like detox is not going to save me right now, right. right? I don't need to send all my energy in that direction. What I need to do is survive. And so I'm going to send blood to my arms and legs. So that's a, that's a very calibrated, calculated, intelligent, highly intelligent response. Okay. So the body's not making a mistake. The body's doing exactly what it's designed to do. Mm-hmm. But if that lion's chasing me all day, every day, now these organs are not going to get the blood flow that they need to, to be able to do their job properly. Mm-hmm. And of course, most people don't get enough sleep, right? The average human used to sleep 10 hours before they invented the light bulb. Now the average human sleeps three hours. And those three hours aren't filled with drum circles and meditation and chanting mm-hmm. and, you know, fireside talks. They're filled with more stress. Mm-hmm. So we've, yeah. we've reduced our healing, you know, hours in the day that we're parasympathetic by three hours. Wow. And so we've got, to, we've got to recapture that somehow, some way, right? And so autonomic pairing is uh, exactly that. Where you send flow is where you send function. So if I want to increase the healing of my liver, my kidneys, my digestive organs, if I want to have good reproductive health, if I want to have good adrenal health, then guess what? I've got to send blood there. I mean, would you all agree that I have to send blood to where I want healing to take place? I mean, it's pretty obvious. So then what determines what's deterministic and where the blood goes? Well, what's deterministic is whether I'm in a state of fight or flight or whether I'm in a parasympathetic state. That's deterministic in, in terms of where blood goes. So now I have to ask myself, okay, how do I control that part of my, part of my body? Nobody's taught me how to control my nervous system. Mm-hmm. Right? We teach people how okay. to squat and curl and do shoulder press and yoga and all that stuff, but nobody teaches us how to control the master system, which is the nervous system. So I'll go into that a little bit. 
So our nervous system basically uh, is an extension of our environment. So we get information coming to our eyes, information coming into our ears, our, our nose, our tongue, like we have these five, I would argue six senses, and that information all comes into our part of our brain, which we would call the reptilian brain. So the reptilian brain is more for survival, breathing, heart rate, all that kind of stuff is what it's used to calibrating. But that part of our brain also houses a, a structure called the amygdala. The amygdala is the decision-making center of the brain. And so at a very young age, our values, beliefs, and experiences create an imprint to tell us or notify us what's dangerous and what is not dangerous. So uh, between the age of zero and eight, our experiences are very deterministic in terms of what our fears are or beliefs or our values are uh, when we get older. What's significant about the information going there first is that's the decision-making center. So if we have this deep-rooted belief that this is a fear that I should have, like if a lion comes in, I'm going to be scared of that. I want my nervous system to immediately respond to that. I don't want information going to my prefrontal cortex where I'm going to like try to like calculate a way of getting out of this situation and then create a response because mm -hmm. I'll be dead, right? So the decision-making part of our brain is the subconscious mind, and that is where a lot of people are broken. Mm -hmm. So if I can trigger you with words, or if I can trigger you with a smell, if I can trigger you with a sound, it's going to immediately put your nervous system, uh, and those could be different triggers for all of us. Like, you know, Cynthia could have different triggers, Kelly could have different triggers, I could have different triggers, and it's unique to us, Okay. And so if I know what triggers you, then I can trigger your entire nervous system and I can put your nervous system in a stressed out state, which immediately shuts off all healing and repair. You can't heal when you're in that state, mm -hmm. right? You're not designed right. to heal when you're in that state. So autonomic pairing is pairing your nervous system with the task. So if you want to detox better, you got to be parasympathetic. If you want to have better heart health, digestive health, reproductive health, you've got to get more parasympathetic and Pairing your nervous system with the task would be like getting more blood to your digestive system when you're eating your food, right? Simple. I don't want blood going to my arms and legs when I'm trying to eat my meal. Mm -hmm. And I can't, so I can't be stressed out while I'm eating because I'm sending my body two completely different messages. So when someone tells me my stomach hurts or my digestion sucks, and they tell me that they're stressed out when they're eating or they're eating very quickly, they're not chewing their food properly. I'm like, congratulations, your body's doing exactly what it's supposed <laughs> to do. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Right. Your, yeah. your body's not broken. It's actually telling you that you're doing something wrong, but now you've got to learn what to do. Then it's usually simple, free things that people aren't really paying much attention to because they're simple and free. Right. So we've talked a lot about how we can kind of heal from things and become healthier. And Cynthia and I noted that you mentioned that what makes people happy will make them healthy. Mm -hmm. And we really couldn't agree more, but this also fits into the topic that you discuss of resiliency. So I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how we create resilience and happiness. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I think it it varies. What works for me may not work for somebody else. Right? I think we have to find, you know, what brings us joy, uh, what allows us to, you know, experience uh, bliss and happiness uh, so it's always important that we find what works for us. So I want to say that uh, I'll tell you what brings me joy and what brings me bliss. And therefore I feel moves me in, in the direction of being more parasympathetic and healing better. So I love, I love stillness. I love spending time in nature. Uh, I love doing things like this, which is, you know, chatting and having deep, meaningful conversations. Uh, so this, bring, you know, these are the type of things that bring me joy. Uh, I love, you know, exercising. I've really uh, grown fond of yoga lately 
and kirtan music, which is, you know, chanting, uh, mm-hmm. chanting, which further activates my vagus nerve and gets me more parasympathetic. So these are the things that I'm valuing now. Now, if you asked me 20 years ago, what makes me happy, it'd be a completely different uh, set of things. So that's going to evolve over time. And sometimes we have to experiment with what makes us feel good. And that's why I love having the aura ring and my heart math, because I can experiment with the direction my health is moving in. So for example, today is uh, day five of my fasting mimicking diet. And I've been tracking my progress over time. I've been tracking, you know, my deep sleep and my HRV and all these things over the last few days. So uh, that's brought me great joy. Like knowing that, you know, just by simply reducing my intake of food, uh, I didn't feel hungry. I felt pretty, um, you know, pretty sharp throughout the week and I still feel pretty good. And it's day five and tomorrow I'm looking forward to going, resuming, you know, a healthy diet. So it's, it's great to be able to, uh, find things and experiment with things that make you happy and bring you joy. And, you know, when you have children, I mean, what, what greater joy than mm-hmm. spending time with your children and family. And that's another big thing, uh, value system for me. And, and these are the things that people don't really have time for anymore, right? People aren't spending time in nature. People aren't, you know, chanting and singing and, and meditating and, you know, experiencing stillness. You know, there's all these things that are missing in people's lives that are absolutely crucial that are non-negotiable. Right. We, we try to teach our clients, you can't negotiate with nature, right? You can't negotiate with a plant, how much you're going to water it and try to compensate by giving it more sunlight. You're going to kill the plant. You've got to give it everything that it needs in the right amount. Um, but it's got to make you happy. So uh, another example would be, um, getting people to do joyful movement instead of exercise, you know, finding, you know, you know, you need to move, right? If you didn't need to move, you wouldn't have all these beautiful joints and muscles, right? (laughs) So movement is required. So let's find something that brings you joy instead of something that you're not looking forward to all week because you hate it, right? Let's find things that you love to eat that you know are also good for you. Let's find places to go and people to hang out with. Uh, So these are the things that we encourage our clients to do because it moves them in the direction of happiness, which then moves them in the direction of being more parasympathetic, which then activates all their healing in their body. I love that explanation. And and I really hope that our listeners are taking everything that you're saying into, into account and into their hearts, because when you talked about what brought you joy and happiness, it's things that don't require an electronic and it's not something that requires, um, you know, with the exception of, I know heart math is an app and Oura ring is, is a product, but you know, it's, it's very simple things, but it's the most simple things that can bring us the most joy and fulfillment as individuals. And I, and I truly believe that our society has gotten so far off base and people are so disconnected that they really just need to make things a little bit more simple for themselves. And, and it can have profound impact on their view of the world and their relationships. But you provided us with so much incredible information, but I would love for you to share two things that our listeners, in addition to what you've already done, um, can to can do to improve their health and wellness every day. So I'll give you three. And, uh, you know, I love the wisdom of children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when a child doesn't feel well, there's three things that they do. And it's the opposite of what most adults these days do. So when your child isn't feeling well, what, they'll stop talking right? So they'll go into a form of silence or meditation, so to speak. They'll go inwards. Uh, The other thing they'll do is they'll stop eating Mm -hmm. because now their body's focused on healing and repair instead of digestion. And the third thing that they'll do is sleep. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Within like 12 to 18 hours, they like bounce back and they don't know 
they don't even know what happened, right? They're just back to normal again. <laughs> and so adults do the opposite, right? Because mm-hmm. we try to comfort ourselves with food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we shut off healing because now we're focused on digesting. We tell everyone how sick we are. So now we attract more of it into our lives, right? Mm-hmm. We announce it on Facebook and all that good stuff. And then we, we take stimulants or we take medications because we got to keep pushing through instead of actually resting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just do what kids do. You know, what, were you, what would your child do? Because they still have that innocence. They still have that innate, uh, you know, intelligence that's speaking on their behalf a lot of times. So pay attention to what they do. And it'll bring you great joy to see how amazing their bodies are. But it'll also help you understand, hey, if I do that, then I can get a similar result. And I, and I feel that everything that I just mentioned is, saves you time, certainly, and it certainly saves you money. Uh, whether you're eating less or whether you're not eating breakfast in the morning. I mean, all these things, you know, are the opposite of what we've been conditioned to think, which is being healthy is complicated and expensive. It's not, it's actually free uh, for the most part and super, super simple. So such a, such a perfect, simple. such a perfect place to end. Thank you so much. And I know that our listeners are going to want to learn more about you and what you do. Can you tell us where we can find you? Sure. So the, the best place to go and kind of start their journey would be in our free 30-day program. It's called 30 and 30. So if they go to 30in30.org, it's a 30-day program that shares our 30 best tips that you know they can get started on their health journey, kind of look at the 30 different facets that can help them move their health in the right direction. And that's kind of our way of keeping people out of our office because that's one of our core values. And it at least starts empowering people. And if they're doing those things and they're still not moving their health in the direction they want in the timeline that they want, then certainly they can reach out to us and we can work with them in a group or one-on-one type of setting. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you on this morning. I know that, uh, you know, I, even as an experienced healthcare provider, garnered so much good, great new information that I can kind of integrate into, uh, into my life. And I know our listeners will find incredibly valuable as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate both of you. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes.